This is the Education Gadfly Show. And I told you, usually my little bulbs try to like peek out of the ground. They're not peeking. No way, no how. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. You're at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edxlinks.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, author Richard Whitmire. Richard, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Richard, uh, I, I was just saying, is as prolific as Rick Hess these days. He's got another book coming out. Uh, you've been publishing some great work over the years. And the newest book is called The BA Breakthrough, How Ending Diploma Disparities can change the face of America. Excited to talk to you about that today. Oh, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's do that in Ed Reform Update. All right, first of all, I really like the title. I'm a big fan of alliteration. And so the BA Breakthrough, Diploma Disparities, I'm loving it. We worked on that for a while. I'm loving it. I'm (laughs) loving it. Yes, exactly. Uh, My staff is, yes, David's rolling his eyes. We spend a lot of time thinking about titles for our our studies and books and, and covers as well. The cover, I saw your cover. Yeah, yeah. But, no. but, but the title's good. The title's good. So, uh, so much to talk about, including, of course, that uh, here we are the week when this incredible scandal broke about uh, wealthy parents bribing their uh, children's way into elite colleges. Uh, we are not here talking about wealthy parents. Uh, here we are talking about, by and large, low-income kids, first-generation kids, uh, and, and the work that schools are doing to prepare them to get into college through to and through college. So tell us uh, a little bit about the book. What what's in there? What's uh, what was behind your interest in this? And what do you find? Well, this all started when I when I began looking at charter school networks and seeing how they were doing on fulfilling the promise that they made twenty years ago yeah. in some cases, which is uh, you trust us with your kids and we'll get them into college and through college. Yep. And actually, it just started off as into college. And then about 10 years into the movement, they discovered that they were doing not such a great job about getting them through college. Yep. So they doubled down, and at least some of them did, mm-hmm. and figured out ways to really boost that college success rate, which is measured six years out from yep. high school graduation, yep. how many are in bachelor's degrees, mm-hmm. for example. So when I went to take a look at this from a book perspective, I, I realized that that's one of many things playing out right now that are mm-hmm. important, that these charter schools are getting some, gaining some really compelling lessons learned about how to succeed here mm-hmm. at the rate of like four times what would be expected considering mm-hmm. their student population. But other people are doing great work in, in this field. Um, yep. There's a proliferation of organizations, independent organizations offering uh, counseling, college counseling to, and high schools that don't don't have it. Mm-hmm. A rural, um, mm-hmm. urban, and 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 also, in spite of what you read about all the scandals here, um, a lot of these elite universities are in fact doing a better job yep. about reaching out and not just admitting these what, what so-called first-generation students, but actually seeing that they get through. And we look, we've seen other big national organizations, Bloomberg Philanthropies, for example, a lot of effort on trying to identify low-income and working-class kids who have the academic credentials to go to top-tier schools, but hadn't been applying even. The Carolyn Hoxby work to try to help sure. people, uh, get those kinds of students know about these opportunities. College Board doing a lot of work. Right, kids who do well in the PSAT to to flag them and say, "Hey, these kids have really got potential. How do we make sure they take AP courses and get ready?" So a lot of activity happening here, but but it's still potential, right? I mean, it's not like we've seen the needle move yet, at least for low income kids, or have we? Well, we've certainly seen it move among these uh, charter alumni um, who. 
I mean, it depends on the network. The yeah. few networks are doing barely better than what you would expect them to do, which is about 11% of low-income students right. earn bachelor's degrees. Right. And some of them are just a little bit above this, but some of them are incredibly far above this. Yeah. I mean, within a few years, uncommon charters um, out of Newark primarily um, will be uh, is predicting a success rate of seventy percent. Now, think about that. You know, these are you know low income minority kids from Newark, and if you look at the wealthy kids yeah. in America, only fifty eight percent of earned bastards. So this is extraordinary. That it, it is. Although, are they measuring? Let's just be clear on on some of these percentages. Are we measuring? out of their graduates, out of their seniors, their freshmen. I mean, this is part of the deal, right? Is that any of these networks are going to lose a fair number of kids over the over time before they even graduate from high school. The data here, what I call is fresh. Yeah. Um, right. You know, we're making, as far as I know, the first attempt to measure yeah. this. All right. So they don't always measure it the same way. Yeah. Some charter networks, most of them, almost all of them measure it the traditional way. Yeah. All those who graduate. Yeah. Not just all those who enter. Yeah. But KIPP goes a step further and goes back to eighth grade. They do. Okay. Yeah. Which is good Good for them. We love yeah. we love KIPP here. We love us some KIPP. All right. Well, in fact, we had uh, KIPP DC uh, right. uh, executive director here just last week, Susan Schaeffler. All right. So I was curious, again, about the title of the book, which is about all I've gotten to see so far, The BA Breakthrough. Now, here you are, you know, just, you know, going against the conventional wisdom, Richard. Uh, a lot of us have decided that uh, this focus on bachelor's degrees has been overdone. Uh, or at least is incomplete, that there's lots of benefits to, to people getting AA degrees, even one-year certificates if it's in the right field. Uh, you know, that the, particularly if, if you're not in the big coastal cities or some of the other big metro areas where you really do need a bachelor's degree to get any kind of decent paying job, but there's lots of places in America where you don't, where you can get a pretty good job with an AA. So uh, is, is the title indicative of an argument here, or is it just alliteration that you were going for? Well, <laughs> since you haven't read the book, you don't know that you're actually quoted in the book on saying this very thing. And oh, so, is he, speak, is he speaking in the first person plural? <laughs> <laughs> and to be clear, I would read the book if you gave me a copy. I, it's not my fault I haven't read the it's book. It's coming just, out. It's coming right, out. Two weeks, on. it'll be out. All right. So, uh, I hope you made me sound smart. Obviously, I, I deal with that issue um, because that's... Um, that's what's being thrown back yeah. in, in the face of the charter leaders. Why are you doing this? These kids would earn more money being plumbers or, yeah. you know, carpenters, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so that is a legitimate question. And um, I do write about it a fair amount in the book. You know, wh one thing that I learned from the first book I write, wrote, mm -hmm. Why Boys Fail, mm -hmm. is that with these particular kids, so we're talking again, uh, very low-income family, minority kids, um, mostly in cities, for them to get into a good um, training program mm -hmm. um, and to succeed in that program requires a higher level of literacy skills than most people might imagine, yeah. just following yeah. the manuals. And that having those kids on a college track, mm -hmm. uh, especially on the literacy skills, mm -hmm. helps prepare them for mm -hmm. anything. Yeah, and I, 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 I think the sure. charter founders sure. are, are definitely open to that, and they're turning the corner on that. Um, but right. once they're, again, they're, going back to that book, yeah. Yes, there are some exceptions of the country turning the corner, but for the most part, college is still the new high school for better or worse. Yeah. Mm, well, 
Okay. Uh, well, we, we, good. Well, we'll have that debate, Richard. Mike Petrilli says we are not amused. Uh, we are not amused. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, David. You read my mind. Uh, okay. So that's fair. Because there are some of these networks like KIPP. There are some uh, of the regions that have been experimenting with some sure. career and technical education in, in junior and senior year high school. I mean, you're totally right. I mean, this is where we need to, uh, and I didn't understand this when I first started looking into this, but you know that, that to do high quality career and technical education, you've got to have really high level math in reading skills. Uh, and you also can't have a, a record of behavioral problems either. Right. Uh, so it's not like it makes our job any easier at the K to eight level. Like we still need, especially our elementary schools and our middle schools to turn out kids who actually are, you know, on grade level or really close to it in these basic skills, know something about the world and, and you know, can control their themselves uh, if they're going to either do a traditional college prep program in high school or uh, do a high quality career and technical education program. Well, so to, to me, it's more this debate about sort of what do we, what should kids be doing in high school, especially maybe junior and senior year. But for most of the K-12 system, it's still the same challenge, which is we need to get, do dramatically better at getting kids ready. Well, what these charter founders will tell you, they'll answer that question on two different levels. One is very calm level. They'll yeah. say, yes, you're right. We should be preparing kids for um, vocations, not just not just for college. And then on a second level, which is more in a seething tone, yeah. they say, why are you directing this at our kids? Why yeah. aren't you out in the yeah, private yeah, schools yeah. with this message? Why aren't you out in the yeah. least suburban uh, school districts with this message? And they're not out there. They're only, it's only being directed at their kids, and they, and they keep pointing at the reality of what a bachelor's degree actually produces yeah. and, and the, the ability for you to move from the lowest income mm-hmm. tier to the highest. Yeah. It yeah. really is dependent on a bachelor's degree. Right, or so, it has been, yes. So, yeah, I mean, my concerns are slightly different from Mike's, and I don't necessarily completely agree with Mike about yeah. this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I, for me, it's more about the back end, right? Which is if we ever got to 100% bachelor's degree, right? I'm 100% convinced that the, um, you know, the hoity-toity would have made master's degrees and PhDs, you know, the next um, golden ticket to the upper middle class or whatever. And I'm, I'm just worried that, I, I, yeah, I guess I'm just worried that we're chasing our own tails a little bit there, right? In other words, that um, I worry about the focus on completion, Right. And the degree as opposed to like the fundamental skills, the skills. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree yeah. with you. It, yeah. is, it is about the skills, but that applies to everyone, not just yeah. these kids to yeah. go to. It depends on what you major in and making these wise choices. And this is where uh, a lot of this pioneering work is being done with the charters because they can tell you now they've got software programs that will tell you mm-hmm. that the right university to go to where your odds of graduating yep. Yep. Right. are are much greater and they can say based mm-hmm. on your major and what you what you plan to do with your life here's how much it'll pay back for you mm-hmm. as a family as as yeah. an investment yeah. so they can decide do i go to this university and what do i major so, in richard do, do, do you think i mean look it's important also note that in the last 10 years we have seen a significant increase in the college completion rate. You know, this is one of these things nobody talks about. We always feel like, oh, we're not making any progress. Actually, it's gone up quite dramatically. Now, the challenge is it has mostly been middle-class, upper-middle-class kids that are driving those changes, okay? So the question I have is, is there enough of this happening out there? I mean, you're pointing to some great things that are happening, but these, you know, charter networks are still relatively small. You know, the, you know, these districts that are doing these things, you know, are they really that widespread? The question is, you know, is this going to be 
enough? Is it widespread enough where you think we can expect to see the outcomes change for low-income kids in the next few years? We're going to see that 11% finally get up to 15%, finally get up to 20%. I mean, do you think the scale is there? Well, two things. First, I take issue with some of your data there. Yeah. Uh, the college enrollment for low-income minority kids has been going up. Yeah. Very nice pace going up. Right. But the achieve the actual graduation right. rate has been almost, no, no, no. I, almost flat. Right. And I'm saying... It's the national college completion rate that has gone up. Yeah. Okay. But that has been mostly because of more affluent kids. Oh, do I think we'll start to see the numbers change? Yes, I think I think you I think already so. have. Yeah. Um, it's it started in the elite colleges, mm-hmm. um, where the chances of a first generation kid actually earning a degree are can be incredibly high, like ninety percent. Yeah. Almost the same it. as anyone yeah. else. Right. And they are they are increasing that. They've done, and those are the so called Hawksby kids. Yeah. Carolyn Hawksby kids. Yeah. Those are kids who have high ability mm-hmm. who never applied or got into right. a tier one college, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So those numbers are changing already. So where I see the potential for the numbers moving more dramatically are in the second and third tier universities, yeah. the so-called yeah. community universities, where most of these kids end up. Yep. That's where you get uh, graduation rates that are more like in the 25-30% rate mm-hmm. range. And th- there's a real opportunity for improvement within that group. Yeah. I, it seems like fundamentally we're having a debate about what is realistic, right? Because not, not so much for the kid, but for the way, the sort of system we construct, right? Because as I was thinking about the, the, the things that you're describing, right? Nobody could possibly be against a strong support network for a low-income kid making it through college, right? And I don't really take that as to be mm-hmm. Mike's critique, right? It's, I think, I mean, is it fair to say to both of you, right, that um, you could take the same kid, <laughs> give them strong counseling, strong support network, uh, and it would be a good idea for them to go to college, right? Mm-hmm. And whereas you take that same kid, you take away those supports, and potentially, you know, in a different sort of universe of social supports, right, it might be a bad idea if they're not going to get them, right? And, I mean, it's right. almost like the argument yeah. is about whether yeah. we are really, as a society, capable of <laughs> creating, you know, doing right by the kids or not Yeah. Um, in 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 this way. No, that's right. And look, I think Richard and I agree on, you know, 97% of the stuff here, right? And my interest as a guy who cares about uh, K-12 education is focused on that is this question of, are we doing a better job preparing young people, especially disadvantaged kids to succeed in life? And that includes in post-secondary education. And, you know, I think, look, I'm encouraged that maybe the answer is yes. And and again, this is a time when a lot of people have decided that all this effort and reform for 25 years hasn't added up to anything. Uh, and I think what Richard is saying is, no, we're about to see, you know, at least the, the fruition of some of these efforts uh, come to the fore. Now, of course, there's also, it, it takes a lot of work at the higher ed level too. You know, so the work that our colleagues are doing in the higher ed world that matters. Well, it takes a lot of work on the K-12 level that's not being done now, frankly. Yeah. I mean, the difference with these charters is that these founders made a promise right from the beginning that we will get your kids into yep. and through college. Now, most high schools never made that promise and they don't even think about it. Yeah. They just, you know, they just yeah. want to get the kids and they, they hope they graduate from high school and that's it. Even the elite colleges, I mean, elite high schools Mm -hmm. don't track their kids through college. They don't actually know how many of them drop out between freshman and sophomore year. So they have to start doing what the charters are doing. And, you know, the data's out there. Mm -hmm. National Student Clearinghouse has the data. They just have to spend a little money to find out how their graduates are doing. And you would think that parents would be interested in that. So, and, and I'm encouraged 
that some big school districts, New York, uh, Miami, Newark, are signing on to this and 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 they're taking the steps to to track their kids um through college and yeah. consider that important all right well check out the book when it comes out in a few weeks right a- april 2nd oh now people just want to get their hands on it but don't forget april 2nd the ba breakthrough how ending diploma disparities can change the face of america richard thanks for coming back on the show i hope you'll come back again sometime soon always always glad to be here all right now it's time for everyone's favorite amber's research minute Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Amber's been uh, promising us here at the Fordham Institute that spring is around the corner. <laughs> you never and let we're me live still that down. Here I know, we're still waiting. We're still asleep. I know. Uh, I know. And I told you, usually my little bulbs try to like peek out of the ground. They're not peeking. No way, no how. No, what happened? You know, this happened last year too, I think. Remember yeah, it took us that a while. baseball? Like nobody went to see baseball games all of April because it was <laughs> right. so cold everywhere. It's ridiculous. I know what is games. happening? What is happening? There's that. All right. I mean, <laughs> no. I know climate change is causing much worse problems uh, than being a little chilly in Washington right. in March, but I'm still bitter. I get it. All right, what you got? We have a new study out by Corey DeAngelis and Patrick Wolf um, that's looking at how private school voucher programs are doing uh, with long-term outcomes, mm-hmm. specifically adult criminal activity. Mm-hmm. So um, the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program is the nation's oldest citywide voucher program started in 1990. Uh, Just a little bit of background in it. In 2014-15, about a quarter of Milwaukee students were participating in that voucher program. And the eligible income levels have changed periodically. But the time the study was conducted, participating families had to have a family income at or below 175% of the poverty level, Mm -hmm. which is slightly below the federal lunch program ceiling. Okay, Mm -hmm. just give you an idea Mm -hmm. of the kids who are participating. All right, to study the non-cognitive effects of MPCP, DeAngelis and Wolf looked at exposure to the program in 2006. They matched 8th and ninth grade voucher students with similar public education students based on grade level neighborhood, race, gender, ELL status, and math and reading test scores. Their sample comprised roughly 1,100 treatment students and a match group of around 1,100 similar comparison students in MPS again in 2006. Then they reviewed the Wisconsin court system records for each match student, counting 10 types of offenses, including felonies, misdemeanors, drug offenses, property damage. They also tallied involvement in paternity lawsuits. Overall, finding... Uh, They found that participation in the voucher program is correlated with a reduction in nearly all of these measures by ages 25 to 28, which instantly gave the sample roughly 7 to 10 years of adulthood in which they might have been convicted of these crimes. Mm. Um, Specifically, their preferred model, they have three models. They, the preferred model, which has all the student level controls, showed exposure to the voucher program was associated with a reduction of about 53% in drug convictions, 86% in property damage convictions, and 38% in paternity suits. Wow. I mean, that sounds like a lot. They identified a stronger effect for males than for females. Mm -hmm. Also, those students with low initial test scores in math experienced a larger reduction in paternity suits, but not in these other criminal charges. Mm. And then we go to the caveats, right? So as is the case in a lot of education research, the study cannot entirely control for the unobservable differences between students, but they make a big deal out of the fact that they their matching protocol they think is a big advance over prior these propensity models that are typically used mm-hmm. because they're matching students in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And they cite some research that shows when you match kids in the same neighborhood, it, account, it mm-hmm. helps to account for motivation and values and all these other unobservable mm-hmm. things. Still, 
They have only one cohort. This is my this is my stuff. Okay. One cohort from 2006, and the Milwaukee program differs right from a lot of other voucher programs in terms of regulation. It's located in a high crime city, um, and so it's probably not a good idea to say, okay, this is going to work, and mm-hmm. you know, with every voucher program. Still, like what we always say, it's really good to try to figure out how these choice programs benefit kids in the long term, yeah, um, and in ways that aren't necessarily related to test scores. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, how are I, we going to get past this sort of confound? Right? No, where, we're, like, we're not. I mean, so when I saw these findings, I mean, first of all, it's it's great work, Corey and Pat. I mean, this is, and Lord knows, I don't have a clue how to do any of this stuff, and it's impressive. Mm-hmm. And it and what they're saying about the matching by neighborhood that seems to make a lot of sense. It's just the the impact seems so huge. Yeah. I think, boy, is is when you think about you know the awe that goes into somebody you know, ending up committing a crime and getting mm-hmm. arrested for it or, yeah. you know, getting involved in paternity lawsuits, all this kind of stuff. How much of this could possibly be the impact of the school right. versus everything else going on in the kids' lives? And so when I see those big results, part of me says, gosh, that's got to show that these, at least part of the issue here is these kids really are coming from different fa- kinds of families. You know, that if you believe right. family matters right, uh, and that really family probably matters more than schools especially mm-hmm. on stuff like this mm-hmm. right we're not capturing that yeah I, I i i feel the same way it's it's hard to know right because on the one hand it's super intuitive that if you're in a high crime neighborhood going to a school somewhere that's not in a high crime neighborhood could have a huge mm-hmm. impact right but how long does that impact last does it last well into your 20s i don't know i'm not an expert in you know mm-hmm. criminology or whatever right i i, I know that people i know that Starting at about fourteen or fifteen is a huge danger right. zone for men, and lasts until about your you know, about twenty five, right? So it's right. it's a it's a non trivial point to sort of reduce a major risk factor um, during those years. Right. Um, but I also tend to agree, right? Which is like it they, they it just seems like a big effect, you know. Not every time we replicate things, <sighs> yeah. we find that right. the here what one other, are smaller, one other right? question here could, yeah. <laughs> could could the schools use their admissions? Requirements? I, know, I don't know the or plus, kick kids like, out. From I remember the regulations. Or, of I mean, this is this gets back to like the school to prison pipeline stuff, mm-hmm. right? So then you say, let's put it in. You know, some of our uh, people we tend to well, some people would argue that you know it's school discipline policies put mm-hmm. kids in this pipeline. We've usually argued that no, these are kids who are for all kinds of reasons, you know, are mm-hmm. more likely to misbehave, and they misbehave right. in school, and then they end up misbehaving in the real world. Right. 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 So if these kids are misbehaving in the real world. Mm-hmm. and you backtrack into schools, right? You're mm-hmm. saying, okay, so it seems like they're probably were misbehaving back in school too. But if you're talking about private schools right. that can kick kids out for misbehavior or not right. accept them in the first and place, were they able to deal with that? Right. And I don't know. I mean, open, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, right? They're not allowed to use their typical admissions policy, but I don't remember. know about Milwaukee. Yeah. I know that we, they actually cited us in the report and we said in our report on red herring <laughs> yeah. that Milwaukee was one of the most regulated. Yeah. Um, well, programs we're never okay? wrong so yeah. so um, but i guess i don't want to discount the the power of a school that is a religious school yeah. to instruct on yeah. morality oh absolutely right? yes. i mean that's kind of a big big that's deal right big deal. um yes. and also david's point that that you could be taking these kids their exposure to high crime mm-hmm. right is, is drastically reduced when they're going to a school that's not in a well, a dangerous neighborhood i mean some yeah. of these 
private schools are still right. in dangerous neighborhoods, right? But no, no, for all kinds of reasons, you would believe both, you know, the, the religious teachings themselves, the social capital that they build, the mm-hmm. networks, the, no, all kinds of reasons why right. you might think that, that private and particularly religious schools might have more of an ability uh, to have an impact on this kind of right. stuff. Right, right. Yeah, but... But 80%? Yeah. Oh, and that said, you know, if you report in the standard deviation, it sounds a lot smaller, right, than some of these big percentages. So. That's right. Is that right? Yes. Because you're talking about very few kids committing crime and now right. somewhat even, yeah. you know, so it's, it's in terms of actual yeah, it might be like, real numbers, it's yeah, much less. That's okay. right. All right. So that's, that's uh, yeah, I mean, right. But at the end of the day, when you see these results, it's it's tough to argue that we should stop doing this. Yeah. Right. So. No. No. And and you won't find that here. We right. should keep doing this. In our opinion. No. That's right. I mean, look at the very. I mean, and by the way, a quarter of the kids are now in this program. That is incredible. Yeah, a lot of kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no, I think that it's uh, it's working. You know, at the very least, from what we know in Milwaukee, it's it's working pretty well and might be working extremely well mm-hmm. uh, on some of these other dimensions so right. it's been around a long time right yeah it's had a had a really long track record to yeah. presumably learn from some programmatic yeah. changes almost 30 years yeah so there you go all right excellent stuff uh, but that is all the time we've got so until next week i'm david griffin and i'm Michael joy thomas b fordham institute signing off the education gadfly show is a production of the thomas b fordham institute located in washington dc For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.